Father, we come before you today, and we come before you because you are God and we are not. We come before you because you're the king and we are not. We come before you because you control all things and the steps of the righteous are ordered of God. And you also even say that uh, you hold the heart of the king in your hand and uh, like the rivers of water, you turn it wherever you will. And so we come to understand, Lord, that you're in control of everything and that we have no hope outside of you and that our hope is in God and in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fact that you live, that you reign, and you control all things. Now forgive us when we think that this is a democracy. It's not. We don't get our will. We don't get our way. We don't have a vote in it. We surrender before you. And we thank you, Lord, that unlike on earth, you're not corrupt. You uh, don't take bribes, and you're not in this uh, for your own benefit. You're doing this to bless us and to build your kingdom. You're a kind king. You're a good king. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, as we saw in our lesson this morning, Abram had those 318 well-trained men. I wonder why they thought they were being trained. They probably had no idea, but they were ready when the battle came. And in the same way, we're going through some trials. We're going through some heartaches. We're going through some challenges in our own personal life that we may not understand why we're going through them, but one day we will. And one day that you will use what we're learning today in the valley to be able to shout and blow the trumpet on the mountaintop in victory. And so we do want to pray for victory. We want to pray you would get us through the valleys, whatever those valleys may be. And we want to pray that we would win the victory, maintain the victory, and live for the glory of our King. So infuse us with hope today. Infuse us with your life. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. And may it all be to the glory of God as we preach the word. I pray for somebody here today who's not saved. And pray today they would come to know Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of their imagination, the Jesus of the Bible, and pray that they would trust him as Lord and Savior. I pray that a discouraged saint would be lifted up today and understand that Jesus is worthy of their life and worthy of their trust, worthy of every step that they take. So we want to glorify you today. May it be done. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, take our Bibles this morning. Gospel of John. I hope you're enjoying going through John and letting it uh, refresh your soul. Very important book. And we're looking in chapter 5 today. And uh, before we get to our text, I want you to think about what Jesus has done. He's healed this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years and uh, says, get up and take up your bed and walk. Now, if he had left out the take up your bed, everything would have been cool. But he had to say that, didn't he? And the take up your bed and walk didn't violate anything in the Old Testament, but it did violate Jewish tradition and the laws that they came up with that amplified on the Word of God. They weren't in the Word. They were amplifications of the Word. They were legalisms, I guess we would say. And that's what torqued all of the Jewish leaders. What are you doing? Getting up and walking. That was okay. What are you doing with taking up your bed and walking? There's where the problem is. Who told you to do that? Well, the guy that healed me told me to do this. But I don't know who he is, and I don't see him around here anywhere. 
And so later Jesus comes to him, reveals himself, and this man goes and runs to the authorities and turns Jesus in. And uh, so then this starts this long dialogue, this discourse here that is in the fifth chapter and it, and it continues on after what we're going to look at this morning. Now, you remember, we looked into the scripture where it says that uh, it wasn't the healing that made them mad. It was the fact that it was on the Sabbath and Jesus told this guy to take up his bed and walk. And as we looked a couple of weeks ago at the actual rabbinic law, this man could have been stoned, could have been executed for doing that if they determined he did it intentionally. So no wonder he was kind of, uh, seems to be kind of panicked here. And uh, yet they come to Jesus and they come after him and uh, we find that he reveals himself to be one with the Father. And so therefore the Bible says they sought to kill him because he made himself to be equal with God. Okay, What would your advice be to Jesus if you were one of the disciples and you were watching this? And I'm afraid that a lot of us might come up to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, you've done enough. Calm down. Let's not push this. Let's go back to Galilee. Let's go back where people are friendlier to us. And uh, don't, don't say those kind of things. You know it's going to cause trouble. But we're going to find out here that Jesus presses the issue. And he not only makes that uh, announcement to them, but he's going to amplify on it today. I uh, was in Albany, New York at one time when we were visiting Jeremy and Chelsea up there. And we went to the old Capitol, built sometime in the 1700s. It's kind of a fascinating place to look at. And in the back, there's this great big statue and a memorial to a man named Philip Sheridan. Philip Sheridan. He was a general high uh, 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 in the general staff uh, in the Civil War, Philip uh, Sheridan. And uh, I think he's buried there. I'm not exactly sure about that. But there is a big memorial to him. Now, back in um, April of 1865, uh, General Sheridan sent a letter to General Grant, Ulysses S. Grant. And uh, it was April 7th, 1865. And Sheridan sent the telegram saying, quote, If the thing is pressed, I think that Lee will surrender, unquote. Now, Abraham Lincoln was monitoring the telegraphs there from uh, City Point, Virginia. And President Lincoln just jumped in and responded. And here was his telegraph, quote, let the thing be pressed, Abraham Lincoln. So I think if the thing is pressed, Lee will surrender, let the thing be pressed. I've always thought that sounded kind of funny and the humor of President Lincoln, but it did, and it wasn't long after that that Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse. And um, this is the kind of thing to where do we press things? Do we press things? Well, Jesus did, and uh, certainly the uh, Union Army did in this situation. There is a time to speak up. There is a time 
to press an issue. Now, there are certainly times to be quiet. There are certainly times to let something just kind of go by. But there are those times when we need to take advantage of the situation and we need to press the point home. And I'm afraid sometimes we talk about Jesus in such a generic way. Nobody gets offended. We talk about Jesus in such an innocuous way and we talk about the gospel in terms that nobody really understands and they really are never offended by it. That may be okay at times when you're just getting to know someone but there comes a time when the point needs to be pressed and Jesus is going to press the point he's not going to hide he's not going to cower he's not going to be quiet this is the time when he is going to do what he needs to do and so uh, this is the strategy that he is using here if the thing is pressed you will be betrayed, you will be arrested, and you will be crucified as planned. And Jesus said, the way that he is acting here, not a direct quote, but just think about it. It's as if Jesus said, here, let the thing be pressed. Let's press it. Let's push it. Let's go on with all of this because this is why I came. I didn't come to hide. I didn't come to have an easy life. I came to die. So if we look at John chapter 5 and just verses 18 through 23, just a few, it says, and this is a repeat of what we've looked at before, this first part, therefore the Jews sought, look at this, all the more to kill him. In other words, he wasn't making things easier. He was stirring things up. They sought all the more to kill him. And why? Because he not only broke the Sabbath, according to man-made laws, remember, but he also said that God was his father, look at this, making himself equal with God. Now, so many people say, well, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Well, the Jews thought he did, and they understood what he said. So verse 19, Jesus is going to let the thing be pressed. Look what he does here. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he, the Father, does, his Son also does in like manner. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them. You ready for this? Even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Talk about pressing the thing. Verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So, do you think that Jesus was de-escalating this? We hear that uh, 
sometimes when there are problems, as we've had recently, between cops and riots and that kind of thing. And they tell the police, well, you should be trained in how to de-escalate the situation, to calm it down. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Do you get the sense that after he's healed this guy and this guy has taken up his bed and violated their man-made rules, they're ticked off about it, they go after the man, then they go after Jesus? Do you get the idea that Jesus is saying, now, hey, fellas, calm down. It's not what you think. You've misunderstood everything. Well, they had, but Jesus is not going to say, no, 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 you misunderstood. I didn't mean that. What he's going to say is, I meant this. I meant to tell you, if I'm not being clear, let me make it clear. And so if he was not in trouble before, boy, is he ever in trouble now. This is not the way to negotiate. This is not the way to try to win friends and influence people. This is not the way to de-escalate a situation. In fact, this, of course, is going to ramp it up. They saw it all the more. Now, they wanted to anyway, but now they sought all the more to uh, kill him because he made himself to be equal with God. Now, that's easy for us to miss, but it, they would have gotten it completely because when he talks about this relationship between father and son, every one of them would understand what he means. The son does what he sees the father doing. Now, Jesus, we know what he meant by that. He's talking about his relationship with his father. But every man there that had a son knew that if you are a carpenter, what do you do all day? You, you work on things. You build things. And what does your son do? Your son comes out there when he's holding up and says, What are you doing, Daddy? Oh, I'm making this and this. Can I help? And so he might hand him, hand him a hammer or a nail or something like that and let him occupy himself. And the son looks up at his daddy working. And if daddy's hammering, then the son is probably going to hammer on a block of wood or something like that. And he'll do what he sees his father doing. All of these things here, they would completely understand. Now, it also was true that the son and the father shared something the son was going to grow up and take the place of his father the son was going to grow up and take the inheritance of the father the son was going to grow up and uh, do what the father does they would understand all of that that was the purpose back in those days children didn't do whatever they wanted to do you would never ask in joseph's carpenter shop you would never ask one of his children because Jesus wasn't the only child. But if you talk to one of them, you would never say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Because it was already settled. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your dad was a farmer, you were a farmer. If your dad was a merchant, you were a merchant. That's just the way it was. And so sons and fathers had this unique relationship where sons would watch the fathers do what the fathers wanted to do and they would grow up and they would be an equal with their father because they would inherit everything that their father had and they would uh, uh, have all of that in a way that other people would recognize now that the father is no longer here I'm dealing with you and you have all the authority of the father now where that story breaks down is of course Jesus father is never going to die but Jesus is going to go to heaven after his 
death, burial, and resurrection and sit at the right hand of God the Father and uh, live in His glory and in His power. Now that He's on earth, He has voluntarily submitted Himself to the will of the Father. He didn't have to, but He did. And He did it so that He could die for us. And while He was here on earth, He lived in obedience to the Father. And He tells us in other places, we'll look at it uh, in another service sometime, where He only knew what the Father revealed to Him and only said what the Father told Him to say. And the Spirit of God was working in Him. But as He tells this story as he goes through this discourse the Jews knew exactly what he meant because just as in the story of the carpenter shop the son even though he's little he carries all the DNA of the father even though he's little he is the flesh and blood of the father even though he may be little even though he may be submissive he carries that weight of the family and of the strength he has a future and he is going to rule and reign over everything eventually. And the Jews said, what do you mean by that? Where are you going with all of this? And they knew. He was telling them, like he said to Philip at one time, the, uh, the disciple, if you have seen me, you have seen whom? The Father. Now that is a bold statement. So don't let anybody trap you or trick you into, you know, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, so how can you say that he was God? Because that's exactly what he is saying here. So you go, well, you know, we all know that. Well, first of all, don't assume that. There may be someone here who doesn't because there are some churches, some denominations, I guess we would say, who teach that Jesus was not fully God and uh, yet that's what the Bible says. So don't take that for granted even though you've heard it all of your life. The second thing is, is I've seen Christians who have heard this all their life and if you were ever to ask them who is Jesus and they would say he is God and yet they don't live like it. They act like every time they have a problem, every time something trips them up, every time they're under attack, every time things don't work out the way it's pictured in their mind, they act as though they've got to fix it for Jesus. They've got to handle it for Jesus. Well, I've tried praying, I've tried church, I've tried the Bible. I'm just going to have to take care of this myself. Well, most of us know that's disaster. Jesus said, apart from me, ye can do nothing. And yet we think we can. We think we can handle it. We think we can do a better job with it. And this message today is to so uplift and promote Jesus that you'll know you can trust him with your marriage. You can trust him with your children. You can trust him with your finances. You can trust him with your health. You can trust Him with the economy. You can trust Him with the government. You can trust Him in all of these things. He is God in human flesh. He is equal with the Father. He's not subordinate to Him. And He is just for a time while He is on earth, He empties Himself of the rights and privileges that He has as God, puts on an earth suit, lives among us so that He could be the unblemished Lamb to die on the cross. And then He
he does something amazing, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and then ascends to sit at the right hand of God the Father, and one day will come back to rule and reign on the earth. This is the Jesus that we sing about. This is the Jesus that you have heard the stories about. This is the Jesus that you bow before if you were born again. This is the Jesus that you obey. This is the Jesus, listen, that you trust. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. But we act like Jesus is like a Barbie doll in the closet that really can't do much and unless we pull him out and, and play with him or her, as the case may be, and pretend something, then it's kind of cool. Well, folks, we are not just coming to Jesus in emergencies. We are not controlling him, and we don't play with him and manipulate with him, and we don't write the script of how we do it. This is not a pretense. This is reality. These words were really spoken at a real time, at a real place in history. There was a real threat. There were people really trying to kill Jesus. Jesus. It was dangerous to be Jesus at this point. It was dangerous to be associated with Jesus. And this is all a part of the plan of God. It's not an accident. He's not a victim of circumstances. This is the way it was supposed to be. And it's almost as if when you read this, Jesus, are, are you wanting to die? Well, what do you think the answer to that question is? Yeah, at the right time and in the right place. It's not going to happen before and it's not going to happen after. But yeah, that's why he came. That was the purpose of him being born, to come to die and to die in our place. Do you want to be betrayed and arrested? Do you want to be beaten and flogged within an inch of your life? And he would answer, yes, that's why I came. I'm not afraid of this. I'm not trying to get out of this. I'm not in hiding. I'm not shrinking back. I'm not a pansy in July. I, I am here and I'm bold about all of this type of thing. And we look at that and we say, wow, it's almost like he was planning for this to happen. Okay? And the answer is, yeah. That's exactly what he was doing. And it means a whole lot more in their situation than maybe it does uh, to us. Because we kind of read this and our eyes glaze over. And we go, yeah, I've heard all of this since Sunday school and all of that. But when you get the idea, this really is life or death. For the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that he came to die. So let's talk about it. Number one. Notice that his entire earthly life. Fulfilled prophecy. Why? Because he was God. You can't make prophecy happen. You cannot make it happen. Now I could prophesy something silly like. I'm going to take a drink of water. Oh look at me. I must be really something. Prophecy fulfilled. Before your very eyes. Right? Now, we're not talking about that. We're talking about things like Jesus was prophesied in the book of uh, Micah that he would be born in Bethlehem. And not just any Bethlehem, but the Bethlehem that would be in Judea. Guess where Jesus is born. Now, how many of you chose where you were going to be born? Whenever I have to do anything <coughs> in international travel or anything like that, they always ask me where I was born. Do you know where I was born? Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Now, if you're from that area, it's not a weird name. If you're not from that area, it's a weird name. Arkadelphia, what kind of Delphia? What, you, what in the world? And that's where I was born. Now, probably if I had had the choice, I might have been born somewhere else. But I didn't have a choice. That was the time. What about the timing of my birth? 
Okay, as you know, I was born about three months before I was supposed to be born and weighed two pounds and 12 ounces. And uh, my mother almost died giving birth to me. And uh, that was not a pleasant situation for anybody. And I'm sure I probably screamed and hollered about it as well. I didn't choose the date of my birth, January 17th, 1960. You didn't choose the date or the timing of your birth either. But Jesus did. It all fulfilled the prophecy all according to the plan. The way that Mary was chosen to be the mother of the Lord Jesus, Joseph, his adopted father, Bethlehem, don't feel bad that he was born in a stable, that was the plan. Don't feel bad that only the shepherds came, that was the plan. And all of this stuff that was happening was all according to prophecy because Jesus, as God, could actually fulfill it. And so when he's on the cross... He could fulfill the prophecy. Not a bone would be broken. Now the other two thieves had bones broken, but Jesus didn't have any bones broken. Why? Well, you say, well, it's just because he died too soon and they didn't need to. Well, that's true, but it also at the same time fulfilled prophecy. What about the time when he said, I thirst? And the scripture tells us that he did that to fulfill what was written. Everything in Jesus' life fulfilled prophecy. And that's the point of all of this. And the Jews sought to all the more to kill him, the Bible says, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but here's the main point, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So all of these things that you all cannot control and that I can't control, nothing before our birth, nothing about our ancestry, nothing about any of, you know, we brag about who we're related to and we had zero to do with it, right? And so we had no control over any of our ancestors, our DNA, or anything like that. That was all in God's hands. And there's going to come a time when you're going to breathe your last breath. And you're going to be completely out of control about what your children do with your body or where you're buried or anything like that that happens. That is out of your control. In fact, you're not even going to care. You're going to be in the presence of God, right? And so it's interesting, though, that everything said about Jesus before, even about his ancestry, and everything said about Jesus even after he died. He was crucified with the criminals, Isaiah said, but he was buried with the rich. And he was in an unused tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. All of that happened, and it was amazing how accurate all this was. Why? Because Jesus was God, and every part of his life actually fulfilled prophecy so think about the fact that when you talk about jesus he was god in human flesh and yet no one was ever born like him or conceived like him uh, of a virgin and no one ever lived like him can you imagine living a purely sinless life all the time in every situation 100 percent of the law being kept 100 percent of the time 100 percent of the time nothing that would defile him whatsoever that is absolutely amazing and think about this no one ever died like him when he was on the cross he was bearing the wrath of god in our place and on the cross a lot of times victims would linger for days I can't imagine how, but they would linger for days. And that's why they broke the bones of the uh, two thieves because they wanted to hasten their death. And that's why Pilate was surprised at how quickly Jesus died. And it wasn't that he was escaping anything. It just simply was 
that when he said, it is finished, there was no point in hanging around any longer. The debt had been paid. Why go on? Why drag this thing out? Why go on any further? And the Bible says this one thing. If you have a King James Version, it says, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. In other words, he gave up his spirit. That's what they're saying. Now, I want to ask you a question. You can't do that, can you? No. But he could because he was in perfect control of all of that. And when it was finished and he knew that the debt had been paid, then he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head and he died. And it shocked everybody because that was unusual. And Jesus wasn't a wimp where it just took everything he had out of him. He was a very strong physical man, a powerful man. And uh, you had to be in that day. And so when he died, everybody was surprised that he died so soon. You know why? Because he was in perfect control. Have you ever uh, watched anyone die? I have several times. And if they ever try to speak to you, you always have to go, Now, now what was that? What was that? And you get your ear real close to their mouth. What was that? But you know what you find out with Jesus? When he came to the end of his life, one of the last things he did was he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Except it doesn't say he said it. It says he shrieked it. I heard uh, Ron Dunn preaching one time, and he said that he was in a hospital in Fort Smith, and they were walking down the hallway. He was walking with a doctor, and there was this patient going, Help me! I'm dying they're killing me help me oh please help me and the doctor just walked on by and brother Ron said to the doctor don't you think you need to help them they say that they're dying he goes they're not dying nobody yells like that when they die you get weaker and weaker and weaker but not Jesus and so he shrieks with a loud voice and he says it's finished and he cries out to God and then when it's all done he says okay Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head, and it was over. And everybody went, how did that happen so quick? Because Jesus was Lord, and as God was in perfect control of the situation, even unto the very end. Now, this is the God that we are asking you to pray to. This is the God we're asking you to trust. This is the God we're asking you to lean upon in the hard times of life and in the storms of life that will come because he's not just a man, a legend, a myth, a hero, somebody like that. He is God. And these people are absolutely getting the message. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3 tells us that even the fact that they rejected him was a part of prophecy. This is no accident. This is no just a, this is not just a um, a series of unfortunate events. It says, he is despised and rejected. 700 years before Jesus is even born. He's despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. In other words, the population is just going to go along with it. Just going to go along with it with very few exceptions. Isn't that amazing? You would think that when the Messiah, when the Lord's Son would come, when the King would come, everybody would want to be around Him. Everybody would laud Him and praise Him. And everybody would want to be on His side. And yet Isaiah says, no, not going not to be that way, at least the way it ends up. 
despised and rejected and he's going to be bruised for our iniquities and all of that the substitutionary death of Christ all of this is according to prophecy and as we think about that only God could make that happen secondly I want you to think about the fact that Jesus earthly life was perfectly aligned with the will of his father and his father's plan uh, it, it says that he answered uh, and said to them most assuredly uh, in Greek, it's amen, amen, I say to you, that the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And you know what he was saying there? Everything you see me do, I'm just doing what my Father does. Well, how can you claim to do that unless you are a son of the Father, which would make you equal with Him and to have the same nature as Him, and that would make you God. So you see why they're getting all upset and why they sought all the more to kill Him because He's saying here that everything I do is the same thing that the Father does. And so if I heal somebody and tell them to take up their mat, it's because that's what the Father is saying. If I raise somebody from the dead, it's because the Father raises people from the dead. And uh, nobody's ever spoken like this. And uh, so here Jesus is saying, I have the same nature, I have the same agenda, I have the same power as my Father does. And it reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. I'll read it out of the New International Version here. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself uh, nothing... By taking the very nature of a servant, a slave, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Now, can you imagine? Here he is stepping out of heaven. And can you even begin to imagine what it would be like to step out of all of the glories of heaven to come to this? To come to this place, to come to this rebellious, sinful, dirty, stubborn, sinful earth. And yet that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did. And while he was here, he followed the agenda that was laid out for him by the Father. He worked in the power of the Father. He worked in agreement with the Father, even to the point of his death. Again, no accident here. No series of unfortunate events planned by God. And Jesus agreed basically to die think about that you die because you can't help it you die because you don't have any choice but to die it is appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment the soul that sins it shall surely die right but not Jesus because he was not a sinner Jesus said no one takes my life from me but I lay it down and there's the point Jesus did not die because he simply had to. It's because he agreed to. As he and the Father and the Holy Spirit talked in the council tables of eternity and they worked out this plan and Jesus agreed to the terms of the plan. And that's why he came to earth. And that's why he came and his mission was that he might die in our place and for our sins. So he humbled himself 
and was obedient unto death. And then Paul writes, even the death of a cross, because that's the most horrific way to die anybody could ever think of and ever imagine. So he didn't die of old age. He didn't die of a, a stroke or a heart attack. When I went in for my heart surgery, uh, I was more calm than I thought I would be. And I remember that when they were wheeling me back there, I thought, you know, I, I could die during this procedure. It happens. And then I thought, but what a way to go. Under anesthesia, feel no pain. If I die, I'm in heaven. How did I get here? Can you imagine how that is? And so it was kind of a, okay, everything's great. If I work through this and come back out, good. If I don't, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. What a way to go. But Jesus didn't have anesthesia, did he? Jesus had nails driven through his hands and through his feet. Had that crown of thorn with uh, thorns that are about six inches or so long jammed into his scalp. Jesus had been beaten beyond recognition, scourged with the cat of nine tails by the Romans, going through all of that so that he could pay for your sin. Obedient unto death. That's one thing. But Paul said, even the death on a cross. Oh, what a Savior, folks. To be able to do that for us. What a Savior. To choose that so he could bear the wrath of God and be the lamb sacrificed for us. Thirdly. Notice that the miracles Jesus performed were the Father's. They were the Father's continuing affirmation of Jesus. So every time Jesus did a miracle, what was that actually saying? You couldn't hear an audible voice like you could at his baptism, but it was the Father saying, that's my Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's my Son in whom I'm well pleased. That's my Son in whom I'm well pleased. No wonder those who didn't love God uh, cringed at all of this for the father loves the son loves him enough to put him through all of that for you how much how much must he love you and shows him all things that he himself does and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel i think he's talking about raising lazarus from the dead at that point because he actually mentions that the son can give life just like the father does i mean jesus is basically saying to them oh you're kind of uh, bothered by all of this you ain't seen nothing yet just wait not only would he raise lazarus from the dead but jesus even said about himself i lay down my life and i have the power to take it up again in fact, you find as you read through the Bible that the Father raised Jesus, the Spirit raised Jesus, and Jesus raised himself. The Trinity was involved in all of it. That's an amazing thing. And so what are you going to do with this, with this guy who raises people from the dead, who commands him to do things that violate man's tradition? What are you going to do with this person who works these kind of miracles and then raises somebody from the dead? Later on, we're going to find in the book of John, they not only wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Let's uh, kill the messenger, in other words, on all of that, because they didn't like the way that this thing was going, because people were starting to marvel. In Acts 2.22, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, preaching his sermon there, says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, now listen to this, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did, that's the Father, through him in your midst as you yourselves know. 
So what did Jesus say? Everything that I do is because that's what I am doing by the power and the authority of the Father. And I'm just doing the works that my Father does. And uh, that was making him to be equal with God. Oh, that threw them into a rage. How dare he say anything like that? And lastly, notice here, we sum it up by saying this. Jesus wasn't the blasphemer. Jesus is not the one who blasphemed. He honored his father. It was all of those Jewish leaders who ignored everything that the Old Testament said in prophecy about Christ. They should have known him. They should have been the ones welcoming him. They should have been following him. They should have given him all kinds of praise in all of this. And yet they sought to kill him. Jesus was accused of blasphemy, but he wasn't the blasphemer, was he? For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. Jesus didn't go to the graveyard and say, Everybody up! He said, Lazarus, come forth. Why not everybody else? Because that wasn't his will. That's what this verse is saying. And so verse 22 says, For the Father judges no one, that's a strange statement, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And that's why you can't be a Muslim and go to heaven. Because Muslims will say, oh, there's only one God. We call him Allah. You may call him something else. Same God. No, it's not. No, it's not. And the only way you can honor the Father, the one true and living God, is to honor Jesus. And any religion and any person that says, I believe in God, but not so much the Jesus thing, look at what Jesus himself has just said. They cannot be right with God because Jesus and the Father go together and you come to the Father through the name and the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God, the Father, and man, us. And that is who? The man, Christ Jesus. And so as Jesus is saying all of these things, they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier and angrier. They are plotting, they are thinking, they are planning. And later they would even discuss how are we going to get rid of him. We cannot compromise, we cannot tolerate. We have got to either bow before him or we've got to kill him. It's, there's nothing in between. And when I think about that they were equal in so many ways, equal in their power, equal in their judgment, and uh, equally worshipped even, because the judgment of Christ is going to be the same judgment that the Father would have, right? That's what he's saying here. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in the saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor to him be glory and uh, uh, might forever and ever in other words the conclusion is if you don't honor the son you can't honor the father because he is the way to the father it's all about jesus and all about what he has done for us in matthew 26 uh, verses 57 and following it said, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, 
as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remain silent and the high priest said to him I adjure you by the living God ironic isn't it tell us if you are the Christ the son of God and Jesus said to him you want to talk about pressing the thing you have said so but I tell you from now on you will see the son of man seated in the right hand of the power Uh, That means the right hand of God. And coming on the clouds of heaven. That was a prophecy from Daniel. They didn't mistake anything. And listen to this. And when the high priest heard it, he tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. And what is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. And then instead of worshiping him, they spit in his face and they struck him and some slapped him saying, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Can you imagine what a savior? God being subject to the humiliation and the ridicule of people that he had created. Why? Because it was the only way your sins could be atoned for. Because you were a sinner separated from God. You needed a perfect sacrifice and only God is perfect. Therefore God became man and went through all of this for the purpose of dying in your place. Taking the hell that you deserved on himself in those three hours on the cross. And being able to say truthfully and honestly to tell us die. The debt is paid. It is finished. And he did that so that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you can rest in the fact that all of your sins have been paid for. You can rest in the fact that God is for you, as Paul said. You can rest in the fact that he will never leave you or forsake you. You can rest in the fact that you never go through anything by accident or as a victim of circumstances. You can rest in the fact that God will see you through your trials. And you can rest in the fact that when the time comes, for you to breathe your last absent from the body present with the Lord and you can count on that because Jesus is not just some local yokel spouting off on things this is the word of God spoken by God in human flesh he is God and he is Lord of Lords forever hallelujah and all God's people said Amen. That's why you trust in Him every single day and in every situation. Heavenly Father, there are some who are having trouble trusting Jesus. 
They say that they have received him as Savior and Lord, but they can't trust him with their money. They're scared to death to give to the church or anything else. There are people who say they've trusted the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord, but they don't love his word, and they don't love his people, and they don't love his church, and they just attend minimally. There are some people who say they love Jesus, and yet their life is filled with doubt and immorality, and they never turn to Christ, they never see his power, they never pray, they never really trust and walk with him. And I pray those people would come under conviction today and give their hearts to Christ and trust him as Savior and Lord and be truly born again. And I pray for true believers here today who have those moments when like John the Baptist in prison, they may doubt that it's a temporary thing, would you reassure them today that they belong to you? Would you reassure them of your power and your authority? Would you reassure them, this is not fairy tales. This is not a myth. This is not just a bunch of tradition and legend. This is truth. And we walk and we live and with the true and the living God. And Jesus was God in the flesh, qualified to die for us, paid our debt in full, made us acceptable to God, so that as believers, we never have to waver in the fact that God loves us and that God is with us. Strengthen us, Lord, we are so weak. Strengthen us and do it for your glory and draw many people to yourself. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.